Our first reading is from the book of Jeremiah. The first reading is from the 31st chapter of the book of Jeremiah. Sorry. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. Our psalmody for today is from Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Our second reading is from the book of Hebrews. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he, also, as he says also in another place, you are a high priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears, to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 10th chapter. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. They were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. Taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they came up to him and they said to him, Teacher, 
We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. He said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They said to him, We are able. Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Jesus called them to him. He said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the Gospel of our Lord. All right, so pastors sometimes, in the effort of trying to teach the good news of God and his truths and those things, we, we've used stories in the past, and we try to use analogies and examples from, from life, and we, make, and we kind of combine that with God's words. If you want to come stand next to him, you can too. It's, there's, there's enough space. Come on up. So this morning, instead of using stories and things out of the world like that, we're going to have an activity that's going to help communicate what, what we're kind of talking about this morning. So the first thing I'm going to ask for this group to do, and this is, this is your big challenge for the morning, right, is I'm going to ask you, you've already done it. Notice how they naturally did this? I was going to ask them to form a circle. So why don't you make sure your circle's perfect? Now that you got your circle, is it perfect? All right, so you got your circle. All right. Hi, now I'm going to ask you something really challenging. Is this the only kind of circle you can make? And if not, make a different circle. Make a different kind of circle. All right, so you step back. So that's a different kind of circle. All right, here's another challenge. Just one more. Just see if we can make an adjustment. Can you, can you make an adjustment to your circle? Can you make a different kind of circle? Something else? Uh-oh, they're crossing spaces. Well, not all of them. All right. So that's kind of a different kind of a circle. Very, very, very nice. All right, with that example done, and it just happened, right? Folks, why don't you go ahead and have a seat? Thank you for coming up and, and being part of that. <laughs> now that you guys are sitting in your chairs, I ask you a question. Just so you can answer softly. When you were in your circle, what did you see when you were facing? What was in front of you? What did you see? Who did you see? You saw each other, right? You saw the other folks in the circle, mostly. You know, I've looked out to see if anybody else was kind of looking at you because this is kind of awkward being in front of everybody. I get that. What's that? And then you switched around and then you saw maybe some different faces. Um, I didn't ask you to do this. 
I should have. I got ahead of myself. I should have asked you, because at one point, and actually in all three circles, you were always facing inside. But what would have happened had you just done this and faced outside? It would have changed what you saw. Instead of just looking at each other, you would have seen the people around you. You would have seen the cross if you were facing that way or the, the altar in space like that. Most of us, when we make circles, we're looking in. And it seems to be a strange idea for us to make a circle facing out. I was thinking about that this last week. From the time that we're children, we're taught that our circles face in, right? We're taught to focus on the other people in the circle. We're, we're, we're instructed to work together, right? Circle up and get this project done. In sports, you can huddle up over, like in volleyball stuff, you can huddle up in a circle. In basketball, you can huddle up in, around the coach. In football, they can make huddles. Typically, they're in circles, so you can communicate with each other, and you can, you can kind of like feel like you're banding together and focusing together. And when you're in a work project, you're working on stuff together. So there's this common thing, and it's inward-focused. But it's more than that. We also have circles, and we naturally make circles as people of friendships, right? You have circles in your family. In that family circle, you'll bleed for each other. There's nothing that's yours that isn't theirs as well at points. Sometimes with brothers and sisters, you might fight over cake and toys and stuff like that. But for the most part, families, they huddle that way. Everybody else outside that family is outside. Sometimes family groups get bigger. Maybe they might include a friend. Sometimes there's circles at work, right? So how big is your circle? Our tendency as humans is to form and maintain and preserve a circle. Some people in their circle have a lot of friends. Some people just have a few close ones. They're entrusted in that circle. There might be a lot of acquaintances, a lot of people you'll do nice things for, but the ones that you'll give your heart to and your trust to, that's going to be a small select group. According to Jesus, that inward focus tendency, it's only half of what true life's about. Only half of what the, the family of God, this kingdom of God and living with God is about. According to Jesus, the emphasis that we express as humans as we make our circles and live in our circles and operate in our circles, that is a form of spiritual blindness because you're not seeing everything else around you. I have up here in front uh, some, I call them bookends. I don't know, maybe they're called different things. They just call them stones, perhaps. Um, these are limestone chunks. There was a time when I was serving a church that I didn't have things like this. I just had books, and they were always flopping over on tables and stacked ugly, and, and someone was just generous. They gave me some cross-engraved and chiseled out limestones, and they function as bookends. My books can't tip over because there's these heavy masses on either side, one on this side and one on this side. So now you can see the bookends. In Mark's gospel, we have bookends in, inside the framework of the story. 
give you an example. In the, in, the, in the season that we have in Epiphany, it starts with a bookend, a white bookend, and that would be the baptism of our Lord. We wear white on our stoles. The crosses are decorated with white. The other pyramids in the church are white. That's a white bookend. Then we have the Epiphany, the revealing of Jesus to God's people for all those weeks. And at the end of that, we have another white Sunday bookend, and that's the transfiguration of our Lord. Now, the transfiguration of our Lord serves as a bookend because we have a season of Lent where we remember the royalty and the sacrifice of the one who's the king as he's getting ready to go to the cross. And we prepare for that cross with this white bookend of transfiguration. And the next bookend that's white is Easter morning, right? So we have bookends in this gospel. I want you to imagine, see that kind of a thing. So there's, there's a bookend... That said, there's a bookend to the stories or the times where Jesus tells his friends that he's going to die in Jerusalem. Okay? Between the, he says it three times in Mark's gospel. So before he says it the first time, and at the end of him saying it the last time, the third time, there's a bookend. And those two bookends are healings, but they're not just any kind of healings. They're healings of blind, someone who is blind. In Mark chapter 8, just before Jesus tells his friends that he's going to go to Jerusalem and there he's going to die, he, we heard today how that's going to happen. Before he does to that, there's a man who's been born blind. And this man has a special kind of blindness. It's the only time that I've read in Mark's gospel where Jesus has to do something like this. Because it's, and, and as he does this, you know, we'll get into the answer this moment, but it's because it's a special kind of blindness. With this first bookend, the first healing of blindness, Jesus has to touch him, not once to heal him, not with just a word at a distance. Jesus heals him twice. The first time he touches his eyes, he goes from just black to seeing things like, like trees. But then after that, Jesus touches him a second time. And oh, now he can see the details of faces and eyes and colors and all the, all the things in the world. He had to heal him twice, a special blindness. And that's a hint for us who get this Bible lesson. Because some forms of human blindness, some kinds of spiritual blindness... The blindness, perhaps, of being inward-focused, it's not easy to heal. The proof of this spiritual blindness, it, it becomes immediately apparent for all the readers of Mark's gospel, because right after Jesus tells his friends that he's going to go to Jerusalem die, he tells them about his fate in Jerusalem, right after he speaks about those things, Peter, sincere human Inward turned Peter says these things to Jesus. No, Jesus. Death like that in Jerusalem, it can't happen to you. To which Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. See, Peter's life focus and his agenda, it's inward focused and inward serving, and he's blind. Jesus' life focus well, first of all, it's upward. He's looking to the will of his Father. He's looking to the ways of the Father. He is fully in love with his Father, and it's outward to everybody who is around him. Mark chapter 10, we have today, Jesus tells the disciples about his purpose in Jerusalem the third time. He says, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. After three days, he will rise. 
Jesus is revealing the reason why the Son of God becomes the Son of Man. Because he is to be, for all creation, a Lamb of God. He's going to sacrifice himself and carry our sins as his punishment. Jesus is presenting a powerful and perfect upward focus and outward focus as he does so. His Father is love, and He is love, and it's His Father's will to save God's children, so He will come. That's a focus on the Father. Anything the Father says, Jesus does. If, if the Father says it was against the law, he, Jesus just won't do it. Whatever's in Scripture, Jesus keeps. There's no compromising it. There's no editing in it. There's no saying it's gray when it's black and white. Jesus just does it. And in addition to that, He looks at all the people around Him, and He loves, regardless of what we do back. Today's gospel, right after Jesus has announced this, the third time, um, two of his disciples, and I want to think about this. These two disciples, these are two of the three who were the inner circle. There's Peter, James, and John. Peter and these brothers. This was the inner circle of the 12. So you have the circle of the 12 inner circle, and you have a tighter, closer circle than that. These three, Peter, James, and John. Now, these two, the brothers, form a smaller circle. They, These two guys were there with Peter at the transfiguration. They were there at the baptism. They've been there with Jesus all this time, but they were there. They saw Jesus when he was speaking with Moses and Elijah. They saw him when the Father spoke to him. They saw the divinity of God radiating through the, the, the humanity of God in Jesus. They saw that. They witnessed it just moments before, days before. They're the ones that heard God's voice. And to those, those two disciples, they display, yet again, foolish, human, inward-turned, life focus. They tell Jesus, grant us to sit at your right and your left when you come into glory. Their circle is small. Two brothers holding hands, Jesus in the middle. They're excluding the 10 other brothers. And I say the brothers because they've become like brothers. When you travel with someone every day for three years, when you live together every day for three years, you share meals and you share life experiences every day for three years. When you're feeling the hatred of clouds, crowds and the, and the ones who are coming after Jesus because they, re they reject God's good news that way. When you're on the storm and you're in a boat and you're going to drown until Jesus comes, all the things that these men have seen for three years, they're like a band of brothers. You can imagine if it's a band of sisters. Gender's not the point. The point is that these 12 experienced life with their Lord for three years, and at this point in time, these two have now excluded the other 10, and they've huddled closely trying to have Jesus to themselves in the middle, having power to themselves. They're blind. The smaller the circle, the greater the blindness. Their inward turn life emphasis is exposed. Jesus teaches them. He exposes their blindness. He exposes our blindness too. And he offers a blindness cure. He says, whoever would be great among you, they must be your servant. And whoever would be first, 
must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Contrast this. Contrast these two premier inside circle disciples and the Son of God. The best disciples, these sons of thunder, this inner circle, the most enlightened, most exposed to Jesus' way, truth, and life, these men are still blind. They're inward focused. They're self-serving, self-preserving, worldly focused men. Just like me. Like you. Jesus, though, the Son of God, he remains upward-focused and outward-focused. He will love his Father powerfully and perfectly, and he will love us, the people of God, powerfully and perfectly. And what focus? He is looking to serve and save the world. Mark 10, then, right now, it's not fair to us in some ways, is because the very next verse, right after verse we ended today was verse 45. Verse 46 is the other end cap, the other side of the story. And this other side of the end story, when Jesus is done teaching the third time about what's going to happen in Jerusalem in just a matter of days, there's a man named Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is blind. He's been blind since birth. No one healed him. To be sure, his parents prayed for him. To be sure, maybe the rabbis and other people, the professionals and, and the medical people tried to do something for him. It didn't matter. He was blind. And he discovers, he's heard stories about the Messiah of God. He, he knows that he's drawing near. And so when Jesus is approaching and someone, and he hears that the name of Jesus is there, this possible Messiah, this Bartimaeus, he cries out in his blindness, and he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I invite you to consider having that be your prayer between now and Easter. And maybe between now and the day that you breathe your last. Jesus, son of God. Have mercy on me. Jesus answers him. He says, Bartimaeus, go your way. Your faith has made you well. My hope is when you offer that prayer, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, you will personally hear and experience Jesus' answer to you. Go on with your life. Your faith has made you well. That's the end cap. The end cap is the prayer of Bartimaeus. And it's just not his prayer. It's the prayer that I believe that all of heaven, all the angels and archangels, the Father, Son, the Spirit, everything that is divine and pure and blessed, that is the prayer that all of heaven wishes that we, the ones who are here, still in the mortal side, that we would pray. That's what they're hoping for us, is that we would say that simple prayer, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on us, and that we would listen and hear God's voice saying, you are forgiven. I know everything. 
I know your motives. I know everything you, the things that no one else in the world knows that you know. I know, and I forgive you. You're healed for me. It's real. That we would recognize our inability to heal ourselves. We don't work it. We don't earn it. There's nothing we do. It's a gift. But to a merciful, beloved, powerful son of God that we can cry out. We can cry it out until we actually believe it. And God's that patient. You won't insult him. If you need to hear it a thousand times and pray it a thousand times, eventually you'll hear it. You're forgiven. And then having confessed and then having the good news finally sink in in such a way as you believe it to be true, experience this, this love of the Son of God and his service to us as a slave. In a few days, he's washing feet. In a couple of days after that, he is dying on a cross. That is a servant sacrificing for you. If you can't believe it yourself, then just look at the cross. The proof is there. You are forgiven and you are healed. And with all that given, with our sin and blindness then healed, we can then begin to look up, like Jesus did, to the Father. And we can begin to look out to the people who are all around us. All the ones that the Lord wants us to love as he loves. The ones that he wants us to serve and he would serve through us. That he could use us to invite all of his children to come home so they can hear this good news. That we would do just that. And every day and all day, we would smile and pray, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me and continue to make me your church. God, help us to be that church. Amen. The Lord be with you. And lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. We give thanks to you, Almighty Father, for sending us your Son, Jesus, to die and rise for us. You not only gave us eternal salvation, but revealed to us your immeasurable love. Grant us your Holy Spirit, so that we might reflect your Son's great love and service. Strengthen us now through the sacrament of his body and blood. Grant that in true faith, we receive the blessings of forgiveness, life, and salvation that you so graciously bestow upon us here. To you alone, O Father, be all glory, honor, and worship with the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.